Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was explaining that there are some very serious risks when you consider believing the truth of the living God that we have been forgiven, that we have been set free from the law, and that we now have a new life in Christ Jesus that we can now live. There are some very serious risks involved, especially if you are an individual who is teaching people to live a life under the law. If you are teaching them to live a life of obedience to the commandments of God, and it doesn't matter how many of them you have chosen, how many commandments you have picked out, it doesn't matter how many, it can be 5, it can be 10, it can be 20, it can be all 613. It doesn't matter how many because the end result will always be the same. It will always be condemnation, shame. It will always be God will hold your sins against you. And in many cases, this is supposedly necessary in order to give you incentive to stop sinning, things like that. People teach many of the commandments, they teach some of the commandments, they may not teach any of the commandments and call them something else. They might call them principles for daily living, something like that. But the end result is still the same, and there will be some serious consequences if they stop teaching what they are teaching. There are many of you out there who are listening to me, who have been listening to me, and you have been going to speak to these people who are leaders, who are pastors, who are in charge of churches, you are going to them and you are trying to convince them of the things that you have been learning from me. And hopefully by now you will have discovered that this is not happening, that they are not believing you. They are not conceding that you are right, at least not to the extent where they are willing to tell their congregation something different than what they were telling them before. You will hopefully have noticed this, that you're not having the kind of effect that you perhaps thought you were. And there are several reasons why this is going on. First of all, people will go to pastors and church leaders and whomever. They go to them because they're sometimes the easiest people to talk to. And the reason why is because They're supposed to talk to you. They get paid to talk to you. They're there, available to talk to people. And so, if you say that you want to meet with them, you want an appointment with them, they've got to do it. And so, it's easy to talk to these people. You try to do it with somebody who doesn't have to talk to you, and you will find it to be maybe a little bit more difficult. Another assumption that people are making is that if you can just change the pastor... If you can get them to believe the gospel, well, then the whole church will be changed. Everyone will follow because that's why they're there. They're there to do and believe whatever the pastor is saying. And so 
if the pastor says something different, then they'll believe that, and the entire church will be transformed. And so go right for the head guy. Go talk to him first, because he's going to be the best person to reach out to and change, because if you can take the time to do that, well, then you can affect the entire church, because he's going to make all the corrections for you. So you don't have to talk to everybody individually. But hopefully by now you will have discovered that this just simply isn't happening. They are not conceding that what you are saying is true about what I'm saying and what you see in the Bible. And even though they may still be continuing this conversation with you, an ongoing experience, it just seems to be a waste of time. Because you know what? It is a waste of time. It's a big waste of time. Let me make it easy. These guys have Bibles. They can read them. If they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be trying to get through to them. And do you suppose that the Holy Spirit is maybe a little bit more interested in what these people believe than you are? I believe that the Lord is actively involved in everybody's life trying to speak to them, trying to reach out to them, trying to get them to listen to him about these things. And these people have the time and the resources to do it. They are doing it. And so... What makes you think that they have not already been exposed enough to the truth? Exposed to the truth enough. What makes you think that that isn't the case? They have had every opportunity, and of course they will continue to have every opportunity. But you need to understand that the reason why they cannot make the change that you perhaps expect them to, even if they do concede that you are right, there is a reason why it will never be implemented, and why this is a waste of your time. It's because of the consequences that will result if they do begin to tell others the truth. If they do, then there will be consequences. Now, there are many pastors who listen to me. There are many pastors who believe the things that I teach. We are in agreement. There are many who I speak to on a regular basis. I am definitely not saying that this is the case for everyone. Of course not. But there are many who believe in a gospel that is different from what I teach, and you are probably going out there trying to convert them, only to realize that this is a total waste of time, not because of the truth, but because of some other reason that you may not be able to put your finger on. And I'll tell you what it is. It's really very simple. The reason why... Very few leaders will ever be able to agree with what I am saying concerning the gospel is because they will no longer be a leader in their church. They will no longer be a pastor. They will have to give up their position. I have known many pastors who have done this, who have recognized the truth of forgiveness, the truth of freedom from the law, and they begin to tell their people this, and they get kicked out, or their people leave, one or the other. And eventually they find themselves either with no congregation at all, or they find themselves with a large Bible study that are not going to be able to support the pastor to do as much work as he was doing before. So he's going to have to go out and get a job, and also do this Bible study and try to do some ministry of some kind on top of it. And so his workload is going to increase dramatically, and his ministry is going to be reduced dramatically at the same time. And so the consequences can be very severe. I've seen this happen a lot of times, many times. 
And I want you to understand that there is a tremendous amount of pressure that people are under not to believe what you are telling them. Even though it's the truth, it doesn't matter. Look, it's very simple. The reason why there are pastors of large churches, or small churches for that matter, why there are professors in seminaries, large or small, renowned or not renowned, of reputation or not of reputation, the reason why they are in these positions of authority, why they are in these positions at all, is because somebody gives them the means to do it. Somebody pays them to do it. Otherwise, they would have to go and work with something else, doing something else, in order to pay for their food and their clothing and the needs of those who depend on them. But through the contributions and donations that people make, they will free up their time so that they can do the work of the ministry without having to be burdened by the general necessities of life that they would normally have to deal with. So that they have the resources so that they can focus on communicating the truth of God to change people's lives, to change people's hearts. You know, the ministry of the gospel is not like a job in sales. You can't sell the truth. The truth has to be supported as a cause. It's not something you can sell. I don't sell my work. I give it away. People support my work as a cause. I don't sell things to people. In the ministry, success is normally achieved when people support it as a cause, not as payment for services. But you have to understand that people have to be in agreement. And if people do not agree with what the leaders, with what the ministers and pastors are saying, if they don't agree with them, eventually they're not going to support them unless they're supporting them for some other reason. And, of course, there are lots of other reasons. People might just simply want to have a nice community center. They might want to have some activities for themselves or their kids. And so, you know, people will build churches for these reasons, above and beyond their concerns related to what is true and what isn't true. Who cares? Just as long as we have a nice place to go, some good activities for the kids and some nice people that we can hang out with, you know, maybe we can find somebody to marry or maybe we can find a job or maybe we can find some good employees, you know, stuff like that. That's what people are interested in for the most part. And so in many cases, it doesn't matter whether the pastor is teaching the truth or not. It doesn't matter in many cases, because that's not why the people are there. But people still will end up supporting those who they agree with above and beyond the services that those people are providing. They will support those who they agree with. And if this person changes what they believe or what they teach, it won't be very long before they're going to have to find somewhere else to go, something else to do, because they're not going to be able to continue doing what they once were. And so the answer to evangelism is not to go and try and change the leaders, convince the leaders. You must go to the people. You must go to the people individually, personally, one at a time, two at a time. At the most, you must speak to the people because the people are the ones who support the pastorate. And until the people are converted, then they will not have new leaders. They will not have new pastors. When the people are ready, the leaders will come. The leaders will appear. The leaders are being developed by the living God and they are waiting for the opportunities to do more work for the kingdom of the living God. But they can only do so much until the people will get behind them, support them and give them the ability to do so. 
I myself have a very, very small donation base. Very small. I have very few people who support me, and those who do give very little. The amount of resources that I have are minuscule, are nothing in comparison with what others who have the same kind of outreach or a similar outreach that I have have. I am able to do a lot with what I have because I know how to use very little in order to do a lot. There are many who need a lot in order to do, in many cases, very little. But in other cases, they do a lot as well. I don't want to say that people don't. It's just that you need to understand that it's very difficult to find people who will support the truth. It's extremely difficult. And until you change the people... They will continue to support those who will lie to them, who will hold them in bondage. They will continue to do that. So please don't waste your time and don't waste theirs either. I understand that it may be a lot more work to go and talk to somebody who has no influence over anyone. I realize that, but these are the first people who need to be reached because they are the ones who will be the foundation to support those who can have influence over others if they have the resources in order to make that possible. And then the expansion of the gospel will be amplified. It will increase at that point in that way. Whether they support you or somebody else, it doesn't matter at that point. It doesn't matter. Because even when few people do a little, great things can easily result. Now, I'm teaching from Galatians, and I'm in chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and proceed with verse 3, where Paul says when he went to go and speak with the church in Jerusalem, he said in verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. The truth being that we have been set free from the law, we are set free from circumcision even, which was before the law of Moses. We have been set free from all aspects of law in order to walk in the newness of life that he has made available for us. He has not set us free from the law so that we can go out and live a life indulging our flesh. That's not why he did it. He did it so that we could live another life that has nothing to do with indulging our flesh or trying to get our flesh under control through religious exercises, through religious activities, or through trying to get all of the sin out of our life. There is another way of life that has nothing to do with either the religious or the non-religious. has nothing to do with either one. It is something entirely different. And the Apostle Paul was teaching the people in the Gentile world about this. But when people came in to say that they needed to be circumcised, the Apostle Paul and the others who were very outspoken about the truth, spoke about the truth, defended the truth, and Paul went to Jerusalem in order to get a letter from the leaders in Jerusalem to tell these people to leave the Gentiles alone. Leave them alone. Stop telling them that they need to be circumcised. Now, I believe that if he could have gotten a letter from them to say that not even the Jews need to be circumcised, I believe he would have gotten it if he could have gotten that. 
But I don't think he even tried because I don't think they would have written that down. I don't think that they would have agreed with that. So he did take what he could get, and that's what he could get. He could get their beliefs concerning the Gentiles, that it was okay if the Gentiles were not circumcised. So there were people who were trying to get the Gentiles to be circumcised. Paul said, stand firm in your faith and stand firm in the freedom that you have been called to. We are not going to submit to that. And he exaggerates the point by saying that even when he and Titus went to Jerusalem, Titus did not get circumcised and they allowed him to enter into their presence. That is the issue. They allowed Titus to be in their presence, probably in their congregation, in their synagogue, touching their furniture and eating from their utensils, perhaps, even though he was not circumcised. That is the point that he is expressing, that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. We went into their place, into their sanctuary into their environment and Titus didn't get circumcised and so these guys coming into our environment telling us that we need to be circumcised is definitely unacceptable. And if they claim that they have the authority to say so because they are representatives of the people of reputation, the elders and apostles in Jerusalem, well, that doesn't mean anything anymore because we now have testimony that says that that is not what they want, what the leaders in Jerusalem want. They don't want these people going in and disturbing the Gentiles about these matters. That was what Paul was able to accomplish by going to speak with the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Now, continuing in verse 6, this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. And who were they? Keep reading, verse 9. And when James... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about James, you know, the Lord's brother, the guy who apparently is in charge. Cephas, otherwise known as Peter. John, the apostle John, you know, the loved of God. These guys who seemed to be something, they added nothing to him, nothing to his faith. So I want you to understand that he did not go there to listen to the apostles because he expected them to add anything to his faith, or maybe he did and he was disappointed. Either way, the end result was they added nothing to his faith. Now this is considered to be blasphemy among many people. Many people would look at this and say, how Dare the Apostle Paul speak of the other apostles in this way? How dare he say such a thing? Well, listen to me very carefully. If I add nothing to your faith, so be it. And I would not consider that to be blasphemy at all. I wouldn't. If I do not contribute to your faith, then that's the way it is. And also, by the way, if you don't contribute anything to my faith, 
I'll be okay with that as well. But consider the people of reputation today. What would it mean to say that, you know, so-and-so, you know, this person who's probably got a budget of several million dollars and they have people listening to them all over the world, they are of great reputation, and I say that they have added nothing to my faith. Are you going to look at me and say that I have pronounced blasphemy? How dare I say so? What kind of religious pride is that to say that somebody added nothing to my faith? How dare you say something like that? Well, that's what he said. That's what Paul said. And maybe that's how they looked at him. After they heard about this, perhaps, they heard about what he had to say. My goodness, he told people publicly that we didn't add anything to his faith. How dare he? We are the apostles. We are the disciples. You know, we are the people. There is no one but us. No one who has our reputation. No one who has our stature, our status, our being. You know, we're the ones who Jesus picked himself. And we are adding nothing to his faith? How could that be? This guy obviously has some serious issues, perhaps some serious personal problems. Maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's insane. Obviously, only a crazy person would say such a thing as this. But this is the fact. God shows personal favoritism to no man. It is written, Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Again, God shows personal favoritism to no man. Whoever they are, whoever they were, it makes no difference. Because those who seem to be something may not be anything. Or maybe they are something, but good for them. Either way, God still shows no personal favoritism to anyone. You are no more unique to God than I am. And I am no more unique to God than you are. And maybe you are more mature than I. And maybe I am more mature than you in the faith. But so what? Who cares? God shows personal favoritism to no one. I know exactly what I believe my God wants me to know. Maybe a little bit less. And I believe that you know exactly what your God wants you to know, maybe a little bit less. But that is a statement of confidence that if he wants me to know more than what I know, if he wants me to be more mature than I am right now, well, then he'll do something about it. And the same with you. Wherever we are in this journey of life, personally and individually, it is between us and our God And there is no personal favoritism. What about the things that I teach, that I have revealed concerning the scriptures? What about the work that I have done concerning the life of Christ, concerning our life in Christ? What about the contributions that I have made to the body of Christ that they could take advantage of if they were to do so? How many people have come to me who are students in seminaries who have told me directly that they went to the seminary with the expectation of learning everything that they learned through my radio archive, but they never learned and know that they never will. But does that mean that God has shown personal favoritism to me over somebody else? Absolutely not. There is nothing that I know that you cannot know, that you cannot discover completely independent of me. There is nothing that I believe that you cannot also believe and never hear it from me ever. 
There is nothing that I have revealed concerning the life of Christ or our life in Christ that anybody else couldn't find out or discover or have revealed to them by the living God himself. There is no personal favoritism anywhere and there never will be ever again in verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now, having said all of that, I do believe that we can add to each other. I do believe that. I believe that I can add to you, that you can probably add to me when it comes to our understanding of the living God and the implications of the gospel. I believe that. I don't think that he's saying that it would never happen or that it could never happen. I believe he's just simply saying that when he went to go visit with them, they contributed nothing to his faith. And so that he can establish the position that he is in, that he is someone who has heard from God just as they have, by all means. But either way, there is no one, there is no one on this earth who will ever be a replacement for the Lord Jesus. Ever. Now, when the Apostle Peter went to go visit with the Apostle Paul later, we have that described in the rest of this chapter and at the beginning of Galatians chapter 2, and we can see that even though the Apostle Paul recognized that God shows personal favoritism to no one, that doesn't mean that we don't have the freedom and the liberty to stand in the conviction of the truth that our God has revealed to us. We may have no personal favoritism when it comes to the relationship that our God has with us versus others who believe in Christ Jesus. But when He reveals something to you, when the living God reveals something to you, then live according to that truth and reality and do not be afraid of anyone who comes to you and claims that you cannot do that because not everybody else is like that. If you do, if you have this conviction, then maybe God has personal favoritism towards you. You had better conform to us. That is not what Paul believed. And I will tell you more about this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.